You're listening to Trot the Egging, hosted by John Hetherington, working with Witness Rugby Union Football Club, sponsored by Boydells. This week's rugby story is that of a Belfast-born front rower, whose first love was in fact football, and he played for Weatherby Athletic whilst always supporting Man United. Moved about a little as a youngster and found rugby quite later in his teens, he still managed to love the game and excelled when it came to rugby. He captained Ulster school side and played for Estonians, RFC and Ballymena, which led to signing for Ulster. Great form with Ulster led to selection for Ireland Day in the full Ireland side. A move to Northampton came and he didn't look back. Now Northampton's head of recruitment and retention. Ladies and gents, Mr Paul Shields. Follow, like, share, subscribe and endorse us via Facebook, Trot the Eggin, Twitter, at Trot the Eggin slash at John Heath, Instagram, Trot underscore D underscore Egg underscore in, YouTube, Trot the Eggin, LinkedIn, John Hetherington, and Spotify, Trot the Eggin. Oh, Paul, how have you been? Good, good. All's good. Um, we had a good win at the weekend. We had a good win against the other week before. So, so yeah, life with us is all right at the minute. We just got to keep going. What about yourself? How's everything with you? Yeah, good. Thank you, mate. Not not quite uh, on the field anymore, but you boys are ripping in at the minute, aren't you? It's going quite well. Yeah, I think there's some things that we want to get better at and we're pretty disappointed in after after both matches, probably leaking too many tries. But, you know, we, we've, we've played Salem, we've played Gloucester in the last two weeks and we've come away with 10 points. So we've got to be really positive about those results and, and try and build some momentum coming into the business end of the season. Yeah, that, that's it, mate. It soon comes round at this time of year, doesn't it? Once the internationals are done and before you know it, you're, you're looking for a home semi-final, I imagine, aren't you? And things like that. Absolutely. Absolutely. I think Saracens are quite far away. I think Seals still have a bit of a, a gap over the rest of us, but Premiership Rugby has shown this season last year that anyone can beat anyone and the table can flip and turn very quickly. You know, you're, the difference between third and ninth is is not very much at all. So you lose one, you can drop. You need to keep winning to stay in the hunt. So, um, yeah, you, you want to be looking up. The aspiration is to get a home semi-final, but feeling that you've got to be in the top four and give yourself the best chance of winning something. 100% mate. So before we get stuck into your rugby story, Paul, where was home for you as a kid and who lived with you? Oh geez, home for me. So I was all over the place. So I was, I was born in Belfast um, yeah. and then I moved to um, Londonderry or Derry, depending on what way you want to look at it. Uh, <laughs> when I was when I was a baby and I lived there for the first nine years of my life with my mum and dad and then we moved across to Weatherby in Yorkshire with my dad's work in 1987 and then uh, came back to Belfast in 1990, um, went to school at, at RBAA, Belfast Inn, was there and then left uh, left Belfast in 2007 for Northampton and I'm still here, so a uh, long time coming. So I had mum, dad, uh, younger sister and then my brother was actually born whenever we were in Weatherby, so um, yeah, three of us. Right. Yeah, so how how was the competition at home with you and your brother, mate? Was it always fierce? Uh, do you know what? There's actually a bit of an age gap between us. So there's there was there's twelve years between us. So how the competition wasn't that fierce apart from I let him I let him win all the time. So yeah. what we used to do. So whenever he was young, he was into his wrestling. So he was in all sorts of wrestling moves. All I man, I was throwing right. myself around just to entertain him. But um, I helped coach his mini team and helped with his junior teams and. And always kept it. It was a great little distraction just to be involved and help him as much as he can. So, uh, so yeah. So it, the competition was there, but it wasn't really proper competition. Yeah. 
That's fair enough. So have you always had that side to you then, Paul? Have you always liked the nurturing side and to, to help people develop, basically? Yeah, I, I guess I have. I just, I guess there's a, there's a big kid in me. There's a big child in me that just likes messing around and, and having fun. You know, whenever my, my career in Northampton was coming to a close, myself and my wife, Gemma, we, we bought a, my eldest son was born huge. Um, and so we bought the franchise to Rugby Tots. Uh, and brought it to Northampton, which is rugby for two to seven year olds. And, you know, it was a great experience, um, great experience from building a business up, but also messing around with, with, um, with what you can do with a business and try and get it up to speed, teaching kids, mocking around with kids. And it's really just about fun and engagement. And I find it actually quite easy to get to their level <laughs> until I, until I clicked, it, clicked, clicked into that quite easily. And, and that was a great experience and great learning. And it's been, you know, a lot of fun, you know, with there's always the dad that says, oh, there's something special in, in him. I, you know, there's something special. And you're like, that's great. All I can smell is his nappy. So there is something special in him, but I think it's actually out of him now. So, so that bit's gone. But yeah, I've always had interest in I coached whenever I was at Ulster. I coached my old school. I helped out. I, I helped my my son's team. I helped coach a wee bit here, and I, I coach with him during the week here. And um, I, I've got an eye on the pathway program here, so I, I like to see development. It's great to it's great to see kids get better and, and achieve and reach the potential. If you can help something, if you can help them achieve that potential, that, that's a win win for me. Yeah, and obviously with the talent evolving, the game evolves as well, mate. So it keeps you in touch with all the game moving, I suppose. Absolutely. You want to see what's yeah. coming through the at Northampton, you want to see what's coming through the, the, the pipeline. You know, we regard ourselves as a as a club that develops its own players that has a, a, a pathway. There's a pathway to the first team from the under 14s up that, that there is a way forward and we develop players and we, we want to bring our own. They have our identity with the club, see how they develop. If you can if you can create your own talent and pathway that's exactly what you want that's the that's the gold star because because it means something to the players to play for the club but also the supporters that come along can have an affinity with them so I remember him my son played against him or yeah. I remember watching him play at those age or, or he's from my club and I think that's one of the great things that you can you can have that connection with people yeah like a double buy-in isn't it basically mate absolutely absolutely right it is it, it's a reason you know you need to you, you, it's an extra reason for people to come and watch you on a Saturday to have that real connection, that extra buy-in. I think that's really important. Yeah, no, it is, 100%. So how was you introduced to rugby and, and where was your first club, Paul? Uh, so I was... Um, I spent my my primary school playing in playing football. Really, I just played football the whole time and I didn't get into rugby until I hit secondary school. So even though I was in Weatherby up in Yorkshire, big rugby league territory, I never... Never played it, never did anywhere near it. My dad played when he was younger, not to much of a standard, although he'd probably kill me whenever he listens yeah. to this. But um, <laughs> uh, he, uh, it's only whenever I, I went to instant and the availability of football wasn't quite there. Um, so I played played rugby, knew that was going to be it. So I just played for my school team and that was it until I, and I was completely hooked and addicted from the outset and it's all I wanted to do all the time. And um Whenever I left school, I went to play for the old boys in Stonians, and I played that a lot of a couple of really happy years there. Then I went to play for for Ballymena in the All Ireland League, and and it was during those times that the the Ulster thing sort of came around. So so yeah, I, I'm really lucky that I played school and, and managed to get the club thing from a senior point of view as well. I'm really fortunate that I had that amateur connection um, and still managed to play. Yeah. So when you when you think back to the football, mate, how? How was it as a kid growing up playing football? Did you find it clicky? Was it hard to break into? 
I think whenever whenever I moved across from from Northern Ireland to to Yorkshire, I was you know absolutely petrified. Didn't know what I was what I was going into. Um, yeah. Full on Northern Ireland accent went across, and I think within about three weeks, I had a full on Yorkshire accent. So I'd flipped it around. The kids had influenced <laughs> me. So was it hard? I hadn't really played to any sort of standard. I just mocked around at home. So it was nice to go to. Yeah. And there was some just kids at kids at my school. They went and played for uh, they played for a team called Weatherby Athletic. I just went and, and played there and, and mucked around with my mates and just got just really enjoyed it, got into it. Um so yeah, I, I was it was pretty welcomed to be fair, because I had some school friends that were there and I, I just loved playing sport. I just loved being around the place and um it was it, it was it was great because you got to play against guys at the time there, you know, there was, there was Mervyn Day, who was a great Leeds goalkeeper and you were playing against his son. So you were on that sort of circuit and, um, yeah, you know, big man United fan, which wasn't easy back in the late eighties. I can hasten that, but we used to go to Old Trafford a fair bit and watch the game. So, yeah. so that, that was just brilliant. I just loved being, loved being around it, loved having fun with it. And it was just some of I still have some of the medals from it. There used to be an article in the paper, um, every, in the local rag, the Weatherby, I can't remember what it's called. Uh, the Weatherby yeah. paper. My mum used to cut out the little match reports from under seven. Yeah, was great, every week. So they're on the. She used Hell to yeah. put them on. She used to put them on the back of a playing card and wrap them in cling film. So she, they're still they're still about the house somewhere. So That's I have brilliant, great, that. great memories. And whenever I, I went with my wife, we went back to we went back to Northern Ireland. I can't remember when it was. I think it was about two thousand and seven. Now bear in mind, I left left England in 1990 and um, we, we popped mm. in on the way we just I, just I was feeling a bit nostalgic so popped in and saw the Ings where I used to play and where my old school was and everything else so it, the club's still going so it's brilliant it's just really yeah. nostalgic but I really love my time playing football there. yeah no it's and that's what sport's about isn't it it'll be it's uh, long before us hopefully they're long after us and what we do in the middle is what matters to us isn't it really Absolutely, you you want to you want to yeah. leave it in a better place than 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 you find it. So um, that's that's the ideal for me. Yeah, and, and when you go back and stuff, mate, how how do you find it? Is it developed? Has it changed? Or do you get all the memories flooding back and the little giggles? And does the kid come back out of you then? And the kid, <laughs> the kid always comes out <laughs> me whenever I go back. But, but I went I went back to Northern Ireland in the summer, and we took some friends from Northampton back, and we went up to the the north coast. And um, it was it, I, I mentioned my old my first club in Stonians there, and I went up, and the kids were messing around in the harbour, and it was like that team that I had had seen that I that I played with were were just there was I saw about twelve of them, and I hadn't seen any of them, and. In you know some of them 15, 20 years, it was actually fantastic to see them. There was a reunion. We won the senior cup back in nineteen ninety nine, and there was a reunion in twenty nineteen. But work I, I couldn't get back from. So, but I'm still part of that WhatsApp group that everyone's part of. All of yeah, these groups. That's what it's about, isn't it? Absolutely, yeah. just that that connection with people, and it's just it's just brilliant, and it's nostalgic, and you start telling stories, and then you start thinking that's a story that. You probably didn't want me to tell, but uh, <laughs> you, probably, you probably thought that one had uh, had stopped back in the day. Whenever we were younger, yeah. a lot more reckless. But yeah, th- th- those times catching up with people is just that's what's brilliant about sport. You might not see people yeah. for twenty years, but within an instant, you can click back into having a crack and abusing them and and getting verbal abuse. So it's it's awesome. That's what it. it about. Yeah, no, hundred percent, mate. And obviously, we'll touch on what you do at the minute. But is it? When, when you go back to them time, mate, does it remind you fundamentally of why you got involved in football and rugby? Because as much as we spoke about a little bit before then about the business end and, and the business side, which you'll go into in a bit, 
we all start fundamentally because we love the game, don't we? And we love being in that environment and that. So they're very nice little reminders for you. Absolutely. Absolutely. I think it's really important that you have that. I, I got into the professional sport by complete accident. It wasn't part of the plan. It wasn't part of what was supposed to happen. So so I'd come through school and the amateur bit and I was I just loved it. I wanted to be involved in it and I enjoyed being out Tuesday nights and Thursday nights and I loved playing on a Saturday and the away trip, you know, and the the away trips on the Saturday night and staying at different places. I just loved all of that stuff. And I think even if I hadn't got into professional rugby, I would still be heavily involved in club rugby oh in God, some, shape, yeah. some shape or form because I have so much admiration for people that do it because you can almost take for granted that if it's not for people volunteering and to put stuff on for for kids and their kids rugby teams and the adult teams if it's not for the effort of people putting it in it dies it, it doesn't happen yeah. so you've got to you've got to you know you've got to appreciate and really give value and, and applause to those people that give up their time as volunteers to do it it's those club people are absolutely so important i was with my i was with my so i live in where i live in northampton there's a big uh, big park beside us it's about 3k round and there's a few rugby pitches yeah. on it and i went i remember going a couple of years ago and there was a game on and it was just a load of guys just mucking around playing a match and i said to the boys let's stop and watch this for 10 minutes they're, like, they're used to watching international people and all the rest of it and i said yeah. these guys are these guys are awesome these guys are properly awesome they're like what's it because they just want to give up their saturdays and go and play with their mates in the park, have the crack, play rugby because they love it. They're happy to get changed, roll around the, the dog muck that might be around the floor. I was going to say that, they probably oh, just shifted oh, some hopefully, hopefully, <laughs> hopefully there's a few cones scattered down because yeah. no one's got the food bags to lift it. So they play around it, they go get changed in the car, they go to the pub, have a couple of pints, they go home. That's awesome. That's amazing. Those, yeah. those are the proper guys that absolutely love the sport. And it's just a reminder that those guys are they're class. I love I love them. Anytime it's on, I'll go and watch it because I think it's just brilliant. Yeah. No, it is, mate. It is. So we'll go back to you then, Paul. And you mentioned a bit of football there, mate. Is it is it something you, if if it had to come, you'd have gone with it? So was there any rep stuff as a kid in football? I, don't, I wasn't I, I wasn't good enough. I'd like to think that I was, but I wasn't good enough. I played with a guy called um, Andy O'Brien, who went on to play for Bradford and Newcastle and and uh, and, Re- and the Republic of Ireland for for quite a number of. Uh, he made quite a number of caps and had a long established career. But I, I wasn't. I was nowhere near that level. I wasn't quite built for football either. But um, yeah. that that was all right for me you know it's different it's different it was different then than what it is now you know, my son's yeah. kind of my son's kind of been through it to an extent but no though no, I was never it was never long term for me I was never going to be a fit. I do love it it's probably my my first love my passion but um and I've played as much as I can now but my knees remind me that I can't right I can't pass <laughs> the checks that my mind wants to yeah. <laughs> Plus, it's nice to see that we're doing well now with Edit and Argon charges, isn't it, mate? Things are turning, hopefully. Absolutely. I love him. I love him. Absolutely love the man. He is, I just love what he's done to the place. And I know there was stuff with Ole before, and we were all excited, and I got caught yeah. up in the romantic notion of it, even Ronaldo. But what Ten Hag's doing, you're like, okay, mate, I'm I'm, I'm with you. The, the two lads, yeah. said, we love Martinez and Casemiro. Or, or Casemiro, yeah. Different level. Again, we talk about levels right through it, mate. The different levels are that you can see that. Just, just 
the people say he's a born winner. You're like, no, he's not. You don't see the amount of work he's put in to get to where he is. And just he has a presence about him. He knows exactly yeah. what he's doing, but he's a much better footballer than I think all of us knew he was. I think when he topped up, he's just going to hold the back and not let anyone through. Then all of a sudden he's picking these passes and scoring goals. You're like, oh, wow. If, and I would, yeah. listen to, I would listen to Scholes and Neville. And if they're saying he's the closest thing since Roy Keane, then I'm like, well, I will listen to you then. I will bow to you. That's success. it, yeah, no, 100%. Yeah, well, I was quite lucky. I was brought up in that class of '92, really, so I only knew success. And then that transition we've been through—it's sore, isn't it? It hurts. And then, obviously, Liverpool are doing well from where I am from. There's loads of Liverpool fans. It's good about well, no, it seems like. My kids, I keep saying to them, it's going to be all right. Just ride it out. It's going to be all right. I've been there. It's yeah. okay. It's okay. Yeah. But it generally feels like it. It will. Doesn't it? That's how it feels at the minute. It does. It feels like you know. There's yeah. a long. There's a. There's still a massive gap to close between City, Liverpool are just going through a wee bit of transition at the minute. Arsenal have clearly yeah. got, the, got their act together. Chelsea, if they ever get that basket case of a club sort of, they could maybe be dangerous again. But oh, it just chaos, feels like there's a, a bit of stability that we're going in the right direction. But what do yeah. I know? I'm just a big fan. Yeah, that, well, I'm the same, mate. Yeah, I'm good on football manager, that's about it. <laughs> <laughs> so how was your transition into high school then, Paul? Um, how did you find that? Do you know what? Coming sorry, coming from Northern Ireland, can be it, that can, it can be difficult at times, um, yeah. especially if you're with your if you don't have the knowledge of the politics behind it and even that's as a even that as a boy going into secondary school i didn't really have the the understanding or the knowledge of the political background that that was there and and just how um how bad the situation could actually be and what it meant to be a catholic and what it meant to be a protestant and if you said the wrong thing to the wrong person in the wrong place or you find yourself in the wrong place and and if you said Rangers instead of Celtic or vice versa, yeah. you could you could land yourself in a, in a you could land yourself in a bit of bother. And um, so the transition was a, a, a lad that was effectively came in from from Yorkshire, didn't really know. Mum and dad just said it'll be this, it'll be that. Just give me a basic understanding. I didn't really know. And it's only whenever you get into school, you don't know anyone. And then there's some some boys who it's really clearly they've been brought up on that so you have to think really quickly and think on your feet and be um really uh fluid about your answers and and work things out very quickly you know it it had to work things out very quickly so that that was a really steep learning curve for me just about work people's backgrounds and and what it meant because in england religion doesn't really back then it didn't feature much you didn't think you didn't think anything of it and you, you really still wouldn't see any big divide between Catholics and, and Protestants. So, no. so to go back and see it firsthand, you're like, geez, this is a this is a bit of a a bit of an eye opener. So, so I'd say that transition was probably more difficult than anything else. Yeah, and oh, again, you touched on it a little bit there, mate. It it won't be the kids' knowledge really, will it? It'll be what the fed with, won't it? It'll be the the dislike from. The older generations creeping through, I suppose. It's it's it's. I guess some of it is a it's a learned behaviour, and it's from yeah. the background and what what they're each to their own, their personal beliefs and their family beliefs and, and how they've been brought up and what they respect and, and what they don't and what they value and what they don't and what's important to them. Um, 
you know it's a lot of it is it's it's learned behavior come from from the environment that's that's they're in and that's absolutely yeah. that's absolutely fine there's there's no issue with that but for someone who didn't didn't know all of that stuff i had yeah. to uh oh, reality i had to get that learned behavior in, on my repertoire pretty quickly yeah. did spark help with that at all mate or uh, yeah, don't get me wrong. I, I never had an issue with it. It never caused me any yeah. problems. It, it wasn't ever. It was never a problem. Um, uh, sport was just sport was just sport was just a great outlet for me to go and do. And you know, you could see people in class. And whenever you're in your first year at secondary school, you're still you're still finding your way, and you're still trying to learn and work out. You know, the people you meet on day one of school. If you're lucky, they're your best mates the whole way through school. The likelihood is you end up with you end up sitting beside people who have whose surname starts with the same letter as you so you're sat in alphabetical yeah. order you sit near them and then you, you see them for the first few weeks you do a few tests you realize that, th that they're closer to the front of the class and you're closer to the back and you don't you don't you don't see them much you don't you don't see them you know over the course of the rest of your school career yeah. but the sport is where you where i find my friends and find the people that i was close to and i'm still friendly with now so that, that yeah so you're right that was not an escape as such, but it was my sort of way of getting to know people. Yeah. And um, without being rude for a lot of people around that time and in that place, it would have been an escape, mate, wouldn't it? It'd have been just an even playing field and whatever jersey they had on, if it was your jersey, you were teammate, regardless of what was going on. Absolutely. It did it didn't matter yeah. to you. And, and there's guys that I played against that I still see every once in a while. Um, whenever I go back, so I, you know, it's Northern Ireland's a funny place. You, you almost if you see someone from Northern Ireland, the first question is, do you, what school did you go to? So you can kind of work out, did you know someone there, or did you play against someone at the, at the same yeah. time? It's a, it's a funny thing, but it's definitely a Northern Irish thing. Right. So when, when did rugby sort of become thrust onto you, and, and when did you realise this is a bit of me? Do you mean as a career or later on, or just at school, mate? At school, yeah. So at at school, so what, how it worked? We there was hockey and there was rugby, and during your first your first year, you did you did a term of rugby, and then you did a term of hockey to make sure that there was balance and everyone got to go of everything. Yeah. Um, and those were the winter. Those were the winter sports. And after that first term, you decided what you wanted to do, and it was like that's very clear. I am going to play rugby. That's what I'm going to do. And you know, never picked up a hockey stick after that. And and you know, I was very much a, a winter sport kid. I didn't play cricket. I didn't do athletics in the in the in the summer to any level or any proper interest i was completely invested in rugby and just wanted to play all the time love my love going to the love the rugby training love the love the matches at the weekend got completely into the whole thing and watching rugby special and going to watch my club and stonians and watching the internationals completely invested in the whole thing so it wasn't kind of thrust upon me i sort of thrust myself upon it it's probably a better way of putting it yeah yeah so when when it comes to like the standard of playing, mate, was was you playing club rugby as well as school rugby? No, in Northern Ireland, you just there no. was no there was no club rugby. You just played your school rugby. So that was just until school, senior stuff. Until right. until you until you left school, and then you went yeah. to play for your club. So it was all it was all just school stuff. So it was training training twice a week, playing on a Saturday. Um, didn't know any different. That was enough for me. Yeah. Head down, did that. Didn't do didn't do any other sports. Didn't do anything outside school. Just was rugby, right. just school rugby, and that was that was it for me. And what would the crowd be like for a school game in Ireland? Is it is it a big deal? Or? So his, so traditionally the school's cup final, which is played on the seventeenth of March, would always have been the biggest attended 
rugby event at Ravenhill. So you used to play and there'd be 12,000 people at Ravenhill for a schoolboy event, which was, which was amazing. And that, they, that was, that was kind of, you know, 1990, that was nine sort of, that's always been the way it was the way through the schools would go, but people would go because it was a St. Patrick's day. It was a bank holiday. So people would go yeah. and watch the game as the game turned professional. It changed ever so slightly, but it, it was always the best attended game in the calendar was the school's cup final. So it was always a great event. And it still is. It's still broadcast live on, on BBC yeah. Sport now. So it's, it's um, I always still watch it if my school's in it. Yeah. What an occasion that would be if you were involved as well. That many people in the, the, the best ground around, isn't it, at the time? And what an occasion. It's, it's, it's special and you're so lucky to... To be involved in it and to be if you can do it with your mates that's that's all the better like it's just brilliant to be there the whole school is there it's almost tribal because you've got you know yeah. young young men supporting their team and it, it you know they're, they're up for it the drums are out the, the black and yellow the colors are out over the course of it if you're playing a big rival it's just there you're probably playing against guys you know quite well and mates and it's about bragging rights and everything else so it was just it was just fantastic to be to be involved in in those days, it really was. It was really special. And how was you before the game as a schoolboy, mate? Was was the nerves there, and did you deal with them very well? Or? I was, I was, I, I wasn't really nervous when I was a kid. I was just excited to go out and get going. I was just like, let's just go and play and, and see what see what happens. I, I don't really have any recollection of of have of, of being nervous. I remember whenever I was captain, I felt the responsibility to to get the team riled up and make sure they were ready and, and have them wind up, you know, the old, old school, uh, on five, ready, go, one, you know, the old, we're yeah, going to go yeah. on, on three, and then someone shouts four, yeah. oh, and then you just lose the roof. So always, always happens. So, um, there is, yeah. mate, there is one. I, I feel there's always one, we'll count to three, yeah. one, two, three, four. <laughs> Ruined it, but, um, no, there was. I was always pretty calm and relaxed, and probably just it, it. maybe just went over my head a wee bit. It's just like I'm just going out to play rugby. That's all I'm going to do. The occasion is the yeah. occasion. Win, lose, or draw. I can only go out and, and and throw myself around and and give it full whack. But but I knew that I was, I was I was conscious that I knew that I was one of the players in the team that the others would would look to to do something yeah and to, to make something happen so I, I guess I felt the responsibility from that point of view that it, it would give people a lift if I was able to to do something and I guess I quite enjoyed that I quite enjoyed going yeah. okay follow me lads I'll, I'll do something you know we'll, we'll make stuff happen today so I did enjoy that but I didn't really feel any pressure at the time that's great for it for a youngster to be able to separate an occasion from a game because it's difficult isn't it as an adult never mind I can't and I think I think you're right. I think it's I think it's really difficult. It's almost there's almost a lot of, of of pressure, and we're a lot more aware of 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 mental wellness and mental well being, and and the stress and the strain that that comes with it, and how we look after people and and how they treat it. You know, I I read a quote the other day: professional, rugby, you know, occupation, professional rugby player. And you're like, no, 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 he's a young man that plays professional rugby. Well, that's absolute. That's absolutely right because um, it it's there's a stress and a pressure that comes with it but where does that pressure come from i say to i say to the kids that i coach and i say to the you know to, to my sons that play I said you can only control the controllables don't worry about the external stuff just keep yourself calm yeah. focus and focus on the stuff that you that that you do and, and just do that and just go out and enjoy yourself it's if well, the, the the second you stop enjoying it that's when we stop yeah if you don't enjoy it we don't do it so um so 
it, it's how you, you how you deal with pressure. Pressure makes diamonds, but it also bursts pipes. So you, you got to make sure you get 100%. that. Yeah. You got to get that. You got to get that balance right and go out and enjoy it and you know rise to the occasion. Don't be worrying about what they can do. Just think about what you can do and how you can influence yeah. it, and you can influence those around you. But it is, it it is tricky. It's a hard thing to, and that's not for everyone. Some people, some people need the nerves. They think nerves is normal. As I got older and I played, I definitely got a bit more nervous because there was a lot more at stake. Yeah. But yeah. young people, it's just just go out and enjoy yourself. It doesn't matter. It it really doesn't matter. And if you lose, you've probably forgotten about it by the time you've played your music in the changing room, got changed and got and had your food. It's it's forgotten about. Go. It's it is not going to define you, and it shouldn't ruin the rest of your year or your career. That's not how it works. It's a mate, if nothing else, isn't it? It's just something to learn. Absolutely. Absolutely, you've got yeah. to learn all the time and learn about yourself and how you handle things and what did you learn from the last time you played that you could take into this one to better prep yourself. Just wee, wee bits like yeah. that make a difference to kids. Yeah. And positional-wise, mate, what was you playing as a kid? Um, I think I, I was I was always in the front row. I never really yeah. got out of it. Yeah, it was the, um, I think genetically, that's where I was always going to be. Um, and ended, yeah. up with, <laughs> ended up at hooker. No one, no, no one ever chose to play hooker. No one ever no. grew up wanting to be a hooker. Too not tall <laughs> enough to not not fast enough to be a back. Not tall enough to be a back rower. Not not heavy enough to be a prop. You want to play? You're going to be a hook. So you want me to go in there and hold my hands out here and be completely exposed whenever I go yeah. in there? Yeah. yeah, All right, I'll do that. Okay. Yeah. So, <laughs> if that's what it, if that's what so, it has to be. So I was there. I was always no. in the front row. I played prop, yeah. and then moved to hooker as I got older. Um, as everyone got bigger around me, and I didn't. So um, I, I was I was pretty mobile. Hooker is probably the right position for me as well. In fairness. Yeah. And was you someone that needed an early touch, Paul, or could you bide your time and come into the game when you needed to? Um, I always wanted to get involved in the game early. I always wanted to get get a shot on or get the ball in my hands or get a throw and, and settle settle those bits down. As you know, the longer it went on, the more pressure built up. And I was like, get into get into the game early and, and have a I always felt if you got a if you got a positive if you got a positive first outcome, it made a big difference. You could actually you yeah. could go with that. You're like, good, I'm on, I'm on the ball here. I can go with it. And it was it was Andre Best or Coach Toby. Even if you had a bad touch, you spend the next you know if you lose the ball, you do a bad throw. You spend the next thirty seconds running around trying to win it back. Just focus on that. And I always and that's not necessarily the right thing to do, but it actually gave me a focus that it's just it's it was just a moment in time. Thirty seconds, try and fix it. If you can't, then we get on with the next one. There'll be plenty of other opportunities. But but yeah, you're right. I I always wanted to get get into the game quite early. I, I would always be frustrated coming off a pitch if I didn't have much of the ball in my hand or didn't get to get some touches or, or get get any involvements. You know, we all we all have parts to play, and sometimes the most important thing is making all your tackles all day long and hitting and hitting rocks all day long. And the greater good yeah. is the team winning. And if you contribute to that, great. But sometimes you're like, I just wish I had I had the ball in my hands a wee bit to try and to try and do something with it. Yeah. Was you given that license like a free roll sort of rain, or was was you a structured team? Uh, there was there was a fair as I was coming through the, the system, it was there was a reasonable amount of structure, but I was given enough rain to pop up wherever I wherever I felt necessary, wherever I felt there was going to be an opportunity or just maybe yeah. hang on the wing and I probably hung on the wing maybe just a bit too much hoping hoping to get a run in while someone else was doing my work but as you get a bit older and a bit wiser you get a bit cuter about how to get in and and because I could I was I was reasonably able skill wise so I could make a pass yeah. and I could do a draw and everything else so I, I was used a fair bit for moves so um 
yeah, I, w- I was encouraged to go and get my hands on the ball and, 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 and see what could happen. But I've got to say, basically, we're allowed to play what you're seeing, mate. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. We, you, you have, I guess the formative years for me playing professionally was whenever there was structure, you had to play in a structure. Um, but games would games would open up and opportunities would arise yeah. and defences aren't completely set. There will always be holes in them. So there's an opportunity to, to get in the end of the pass. I was always one that was always looking for, you know, tracking if there was an offload always looking to try and get in the end of an offload on the inside ball or tracking to see if, because that's where the space was. I might not have been big enough yeah. or strong enough to, to get the offload, but someone else might've got through half a gap and I was looking to get on the end of that pass to see if I could get in behind and get a get a run yeah. off the pitch. So you'd flood the channels, mate, yeah, either side of an arm, yeah. Absolutely, get in behind them. Yeah. So what did leadership do to you? Was was it something you enjoyed or early days, did you feel a little bit of added pressure with leadership and... Did you realise you'd had it in you, really? I, I guess it was sort of came from um, for something that I wanted, and it was prestigious. It was always prestigious to be the captain of your team, and you, the way the way Inst rugby was, and probably all school boy rugby know that then was quite important. You know, the captain was the, the captain was it sort of had a status with it, and that was quite important to me. And I learned from from good people around me, and I played for my school first team when I was fifteen. And I learned from the captain then, Paul Arnold, who was brilliant. And I learned a lot from him. Um, and I sort of took that with me. So I found myself in in positions of of leadership whenever I got my senior school, I was captain. And I really enjoyed it. I was captain of Ulster Schools and I enjoyed that responsibility and always felt that I was able to to add value um, to people with, with knowledge. And, you know, I was always someone who was very encouraging. I was always like, no you know, pump people's tires up, make them feel good about themselves. And I've always had an interest in it. I've always, you know, I've got books on my bedside table about it. And you, you listen to people from different walks of life and, and what they do. So I think leadership is ever evolving. It's a no one size fits all model. You can take snippets from everywhere and, and learn everything. So um, it is something yet yeah, does, it does really interest me. Yeah. Yeah. It's got a broad horizon, isn't it? Some people are doers, some people are sayers, people are pretty good at, like autocratic emotions, other people listen. It is. It's it's just a monopoly of ideas, isn't it? Leadership, mate. Yeah, absolutely. And there's different leadership styles work for for different people. And different um, people, yeah. You know, in some places they need a they need the style at that place is completely different to the style of leadership at somewhere else. And and that's absolutely fine. Everyone has their own their own style that works for them. But I think you have to be. You have to be knowledgeable about that, and you have to keep evolving. You can't, you can't stay still. You need to be thinking about the next thing and adapting to the the people around you and how you can, how you can inspire them and, and get more out of them. And so you're not saying the same messages and being bored and changing yeah. the dynamic. I think you have to, you have to constantly try and improve yourself, all the time. And once you stand still, you may as well stop. You you're done. Yeah, because you just get took over, mate. Don't you? Absolutely. So what was your relationship like with referees? Is it something you've always had a good little bond with? Because it's key, isn't it? Especially, so not only are you in the front row, you're running a line you're running a pack, you're probably a link with your spine, so you're two, you're eight, you're nine, you're ten, you're fifteen. And then along with that, you've got to have the frame of mind in the heat of the moment to be able to speak to the, the man in the middle with respect and, and accept what he's saying to a degree, haven't you? Yeah, and being hooker, it was always difficult because on one hand, you could go from a scrum where you have to be revved up to the max because you're going to go and hit and have all this pressure going through you and try and dominate the scrum. 
and then and then 20 seconds later you could be going to throw a line out so you need to go from being wired to the moon to completely calm and placid to make sure you've got all your processes in place to throw the ball and so there was always that balance of emotions that you would check with but referees for me it was always growing up was it was it was put into us that you respect the referee and they've always been served and I've, that's always been the case for me it's always been the referees or the people you can have a conversation with them you've got to respect them um at the end of the day if we don't have referees we don't we don't have a game so keep keep them on size be be polite to them and I, even the kids i coach now i say to them a referee has never changed his mind he has never said do you know what you're right i'll give the penalty the other way it just it just doesn't happen no. You try to say that refereeing is such a hard job. They have so many things to look out for. They have to see. They have to see things that everyone else has the benefit of having a different angle and video and a thousand camera angles and and all the rest of it. They, they, they don't have that. They're going to make mistakes. So it's like that. That's a if the, like a player makes a mistake. He's made a mistake. He hasn't done it intentionally. He's not cheating. He's just made an error. You gotta you gotta get on with it and. You gotta you gotta play to the referee as well. So some some days, I think for a lot of kids, if a referee is having a bad game or he's if he's being slightly more lenient to one side or the other, then learn from it. Learn learn to adapt. It actually it'll actually make you better if you can perform in that sort of adversity. I think that's really important. The, the refereeing thing for me has always been it's always been really really easy. We need we need referees. You know the the guys that turn up like I said earlier about the guys that go and play. Um, Playing the park, even the referee that turns up on refs in the park, amazing. If we don't yeah. have them, we don't we don't have a game. So you can play... up with dog shit bags as well. <laughs> <laughs> more often, more often than not, he is. <laughs> you hear the stories about the, the Sunday league football and the referees having it's a brick through the that. window yeah. get beaten up. Like, Why do you bother? You know, do you not? No, do you, not no. you, lose, you lose these guys, and it's and it's gone. And um, yeah. for me, for me, it's. Rugby has always been simple. The referee is sir or miss or whoever's refereeing you, and it's complete respect. Dead simple. If yeah. he makes a mistake, he makes a mistake. You just got to get on with it. It's it's very straightforward. Yeah, I would say we're on a level of our own when it comes to respecting officials. It's um, like you look around and we don't surround them, we don't harass them. It's it's a civil conversation. It's yes, but will you look out for this next time or? We felt he'd done this, but they back off. And I do. I think we're on we're on like an elite level with respect there. I'd say, aren't we, compared to other sports? I think so. And I think the refs will respect you as well if you have a good, if you have a good manner with them, and if you actually show them respect and approach them at the right time, they'll have respect for you. You know, some of the biggest characters in the game have been referees. You know, Nigel Owens is yeah. is still very well thought of, and Wayne Barnes is so well respected in the world of rugby, and he's got these guys have got plenty about them. So you can actually have a you can have a bit of fun with them. Tony Spreadbury's one of the, the most famous ones. We left his microphone on when he went to we went for a he went to the toilet in Bath or Bristol, I think it was back in the day, and everyone could hear him uh, came here having a wee. But those things are you know, you can you could have you could have a conversation with them as long as you had that respect. And if you don't have the respect and and if the referee doesn't have respect for the players and just dismisses them, that, that becomes awkward and difficult. So um yeah, I, I think we're in a good Whenever you see what happens with other sports and the rag being lost, it's a wonder. It's it's gone too far. It's I don't see how they'd ever be able to get it back. But you know, you think of the if if you could see 
if you can see a referee turning to Owen Fowl and saying, or Johnny Sexton or Mara told you, whoever, that's a decision, they turn and walk off. They might they might scratch their brain or even and if they make any sort of contact whatsoever, they'll get marched 10 yards. So you're like so if the kids are watching that, you're like, well, there if he's if it's good enough for them, it's certainly good enough for you. And Sign that's all for everybody, yeah. Absolutely. And for some kids, yeah. it's like kids, it's black and white. So if they don't, if it, if the decision goes against him, he's cheating. So he's not cheating. He just didn't see it. Yeah. He's in a different, he just made a mistake. So, he's just caught at it. Yeah. Yeah. Just, just, <laughs> just let it go. Just let it go. Don't yeah. argue with him. Just let it go. So was there any rugby league growing up for you when you went back to Ireland? And did you play any in Weatherby? No, none, none no. whatsoever. The rugby league was never a feature. So whenever I lived those three years in Yorkshire, rugby league wasn't a feature. Went back. Northern Ireland wasn't a feature. I've never really had any association with rugby league at all. I, I I'd be pretty straightforward. And say I don't I don't even I don't even watch it now. Um, I don't have that much in touch with it. The, the most I have was was Chris Ashton. Haven't known him for such a long time. That would be the the most I'd yeah. know about it. So the only time I did nearly get involved with rugby league was whenever I think I was playing for Estonians back in the time in the in the late nineties, and Ireland rugby league were just invited me along just to play and train and I went along and um it was not really any standard and I'm pretty sure I was hung over whenever I was training and <laughs> I wasn't I wasn't showing it the due respect that it deserved and it was through a guy called Innes Gray who was a he was a school teacher um, at the school where I was um, and I did a bit of coaching with him and he played a lot of it so I went along with it and just went like this it's it's just not for me and I didn't really fancy it and I thought if I'm gonna do it I want to do it absolutely properly and I can't give this what it deserves because for all you guys here this is this is this is um this is your thing and this is what you do but it's it's just I can't not give yours. it that it's not yeah. it's not for me and I can't give it that and I'd be disrespecting you by by half baking an effort onto it. So just no just yeah. no no relationship with rugby league whatsoever. That's fair enough, mate. So what was the script for you leaving school, mate? What was on offer? What was job wise and when did rugby become the full time thing? And um, so the plan for me on leaving univer- leaving school was to go to university. Uh, and right. study sports science at the at University of Ulster at Jordanstown. Unfortunately, um, I performed very seriously underperformed in my A level results, and that was <laughs> the dream never quite happened. And I had to go to I went to college instead for a couple of years. To it was called the North Down and Arts Institute of Further and Higher Education. Did a and studied studied there for a couple of years before going to university and making that transition. But in the meantime, I was uh, just playing playing club rugby, just playing for Estonians. And then I got a call up to Ulster in about 1999. And the year after they'd won the European Cup. So my timing was impeccable. Um, after they won the European Cup, I don't think they won a game in Europe for about two years. And I was part of that. I was part of that group. So, um, yeah, so I got, I got involved there. Was doing it sort of semi semi part time. It was professional. It was just in its infancy. It was just really getting going. And then the second... I came to uh, second. I went back to university. I sorry, I did a, I did a year out. Alan Solomons came to also. Yeah. I was working in my old school for a year out, and then rugby started to get going. I went back to university. Um, I was doing professional rugby at the same time, but I was kind of not getting it right. I was making a mess of the university. I was so focused on the rugby that I was making a mess of the university, and yeah. I was like, I've worked too hard to get to the, into university. 
to, to mess it up because I didn't know where the Professor Roby was going to go or how long it was going to last. But I always had aspirations to be, always wanted to be a PE teacher. I wanted to do the sport, study sports studies, go and get a PGCE and be a PE teacher. That's just that's just what I wanted wanted to do. But I wanted to give, but the rugby, the, the opportunity to play professional rugby was there and I really wanted to give it a crack. I've got to, I've got to give this a go. So I slow tracked my, I, I went to see the union and said, listen, I'm just stopping for a bit. I put it on hold for a few years and just focused on the rugby. And that's just where it went. I just got the opportunity to play. I was a fully contracted player. I completely loved it, immersed myself in it and loved being, um, loved being in and around that also set up. I just loved, loved being there. Um, from from day one and that was it for me it sort of it came around by accident it was never part of the plan it's just my club my club form got me looked at I never really considered it then all of a sudden there was the opportunity to make a career out of it and it just went from there it was all it all very went very quickly from there so yeah that's how it happened was Simon Mason at Ulster when you were there? Do you know what Macy was? Macy wasn't. He just uh, sorry, he was the first year I was there. Macy was there, and then he left to join Stade Francais, and then he went to uh, then he went to Treviso after that. So no, Treviso, but I did, yeah. I did, I did play with Macy. We played in Chris Henry's testimonial game about 2019. Macy was playing. So he still he still has no pace, but he can but he can kick a ball. <laughs> I remember one of the I turned up to, at Ulster and he had the ball in the corner spot of the the try line and he was kicking the ball over the sticks. I remember just watching, going, "This guy's a different level. He's just a different." Yeah. I'd never seen anything like that. He was just knocking them over and over and over. He was he was phenomenal, but he's a great lad. How do you, do you know Macy? Yeah, so he's been on, and I used to play against him. So he oh, really? played for Antalmians over the Widow. Yeah, yeah. And Antalmians and Witness Rugby Union were in the same league. So we try and it, we'd get the old speech of oh he thinks he's somebody he's on a few quid and you know all that thing let him know you're about so we'd let him know but he'd sort of like have a little giggle as well he enjoyed it actually but no he's a he's a good bloke it was nice to get to know him a little bit but yeah he, he, he's his kicking game just like you said a different level really out of hand restarts to touch on penalties you're just never safe around him really he was anywhere anywhere. Anywhere in your own half, he could he could knock it over from yeah, no matter trouble. no matter yeah. where it was. He was just going to keep churning the points over. And that year they won the European Cup. He was just phenomenal. But great bloke as well. I'm on a there's a former players WhatsApp group for us. I'm on and he's he's pretty active on it. He's a he's a brilliant fellow. <laughs> I can imagine he is actually. Yeah. So if we go back a little bit, mate. So you've gone from school to to club rugby, and then you've gone from club rugby to signing with Ulster. So do you notice a change in levels? Yeah, I did. I guess I noticed the change in levels, and I guess I noticed the change in in the professionalism and how to behave. That was probably the, the big thing for me. I was I, when I was playing for Estonians, I was probably I was probably retaining too much water. If, if I'm being politically correct about myself, I was I was probably I just didn't didn't know professional rugby. But then you're surrounded by guys who were who were living it. Guys like Macy come over, and um, even guys like Spencer Spencer Bromley that come in and. These guys were all lift Jimmy, Jimmy Topping, John Cunningham, Tony lifting weights, eating the right things. And I had absolutely no idea about that. I'd never done weights or done done anything. So that, that the biggest thing for me was how to behave, your diet, gym activities, all the rest of it. That that was the that was the biggest shock to me. The rugby I found straightforward, but that was the biggest shock. I'm being so so far, so far behind them from a fitness point of view. 
that I just have, you know, Mike Bull had me running constantly. I was constantly running um, to the point where I actually loved it. It was actually, it was a guy called Dion O'Quinnahan who was the Ulster, who was playing for Ulster at the time. He took me sort of under his wing. He used to take me to the David Lloyd, stick me on a treadmill and we would just be doing constant repeated efforts all the time, you know, three or four times a week, doing it all the time and got myself to a level where I actually was fit and ended up being one of the fittest people there because I realised that that was the level you had to do. So that was that was the big bit. The rugby I found all right. I just found the, the other bit, that was the biggest body shock for me was trying to learn and all those behaviours that were that were absolutely critical at that time. And even then, we were, we were still quite... Habits, isn't it? Yeah, and we and we even yeah. then we were way behind the English clubs in terms of what they were doing. You know, way way behind them in terms of their fitness and everything else, and their size and their bulk and and their approach. You know, professional was in its infancy back in those days. But yeah, it yeah. was it was a very steep learning curve. And what what was the the chat like them days, mate? Because we'll talk about like your role and retention and recruitment. I can't imagine the chats then were like what you have now. No, I just, I just love yeah. being, I just love being in the environment. I just love being around the boys. I loved just the crack of, you know, what a, what a privilege and a great job to get up every morning, have your breakfast, and go and go and play rugby. You know what, what yeah. an absolute privilege. I just loved being in and around it, trying to be better. These guys became my mates. Some of them I looked, you know, I, I looked up to for for a few years and then all of a sudden you're training with them and you realize that it's you know you can't take this for granted you have to really invest in everything while you're there i just love being around the place completely immerse myself in it the crack the everything probably got a bit carried away at times but um as you do yeah was, as you do whenever you're young but i just absolutely i was so immersed and invested in the place that i just had such a those were such good years. I made so many, so many good friends that I'm still really close with now, and still reminisce and laugh about it. So um, yeah, th- those were those were just the best days. The, converse, the conversations now, you're right, they're completely different. Whenever you're <laughs> whenever you're talking about, but <laughs> but back then, just so much fun, so much fun. Yeah. Um, and how was it signing for a club back then? What would they do? Would they invite you to the ground? Would you just meet at a coffee shop or something? Was it a pretty straightforward chat to sign? So whenever I was signing for Ulster, I was I was invited in to train. Um, used to get a used to get a letter, so it was actually quite nice. You got a letter t- to come in and train that arrived to your house, so um, it's quite quite novel. So you, you turn up and train, and that and that sort of evolved from there. So the contract, the contract wasn't quite as gra- as grand and come in and meet. You sort of it was just an assumption. There was there was. If you to, if you were there, the only option was to play for Ulster. That was that was your area. That's all you and you grew up. That's who you wanted to play for. It yeah. was your team. That's who you wanted to play, play for. for. So so that was actually easy. So whenever you were handed a contract, you didn't ask any questions. Didn't even read it. Just say where to sign. What am I getting? You sign it, then you look at what you're going to be getting. You go great. That's perfect. It's oh, it's, it's it's you know it's 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 free, it's it's free money. That's what I'm going to be doing. So there was no there was no trying to court or anything else or. Any of the rest of it, it was just like you're you're here and that's and that's it. It was it was yeah. all not not very glamorous at all. So as you nurtured through, was there like an A League part? So did you play any A League to play first team or no? You, you you went from playing All Ireland League rugby in Ireland to straight into playing for Ulster, and the All Ireland League was actually it was a pretty high standard. You know there was 
whenever the Ulster stuff started, Ulster, Ulster's gone from a club that used to play the Interprovincial Series against Leinster, Munster and Connacht, maybe the Exiles, maybe the Scottish Saltires, Cornwall, play those games, maybe the occasional Invitational game against Australia or someone. Um, that, that's that's where it started. And then in between, everyone played all Ireland League. So you'd be playing, um, you'd be playing against internationals and British Lions regularly. I remember playing for Balamina, we played a, a Shannon team that had seven or eight internationals on it. I remember we played uh, Cork Cohn in 2001 and it was Ronan O'Gara's last match he played before he went off and went on off in the Lions tour. So he was playing club rugby for Cork Cohn, kicked the drop goal in the last second to win it and then went off and played for the Lions tour. So Jumped it, on it, a yeah. Yeah, absolutely. It was, it was a really good standard. And if you were able to perform at that level, then you were actually going to be able to perform at, um, you know, in the interprovincial series, it wasn't enough. Whenever you went to compete in Europe against the big boys, but it was certainly a really good, a really good starting point. I, I like that the fact that it doesn't matter who you are. You played into country rugby. So for listeners and viewers that might not get that, it's a bit like the MPC, the tramp, isn't it, in New Zealand and and stuff like that. So it's like the the county stuff basically. I Absolutely. quite like that, mate. I like that. I like that. It's a breeding ground, actually, isn't it? It's 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 a nurturing spot. It was brilliant, and it was a really good yeah. standard. And you went to play in some really good places. I was. I remember thinking it was probably more. Whenever I moved from Estonians who were in the third division, which was the bottom division at the time, to, to join Balamine, who were the top division, that that's where it was, and you know, that's where you yeah. wanted to be at. And I was I was probably more nervous about playing my first game for Balamina at that level than I was playing for anyone else because I thought because I was like this is really where I find out am I up to it? Am, am yeah. I going to be able to perform at this level and play with these boys? And because they've been playing it for years, it was used to them. But for me it was like yeah. I've gone from messing around in all Ireland three and I need to get myself in a position to perform at this league and 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 it was a really good standard. We had some really, really good players, um good coaching, good players, great club, great infrastructure, massive support. Um, so yeah, it was. I think it was a it was a great breeding ground for me, and really important. You know, I basically I got my Irish caps off the back of playing for Balamina. It wasn't it wasn't even also it was what I was doing for Balamina because how the season was structured. So so for me, I'm I'm very grateful for it, and I have a lot to thank the All Ireland League for. Is that still about me? That's oh, a, yeah, that's yeah. a great concept. Yeah, it's still going now, and you know my, I think there's there's. I'm not I'm not quite sure the construct of the league now, but I think there's yeah. there's four leagues now. Half the teams in it now completely different than whenever whenever I was playing. Um, and my old team in Stonians, they've gone from the junior leagues, they got promoted into the senior leagues, and they're sitting pretty at the top of it. So so they they've done remarkably well to be doing it. But it, it's still a good friend of mine. Um, work with him at Northampton. He runs a podcast on the All Ireland All Ireland League, so and it gets a massive amount of viewers every week. So it's still it's still massively popular, still really popular, it's still going. Yeah. yeah, really good. Oh, that's that's great. Because that, without being rude, not many Championship players would play international rugby in the UK. Would be from Championship level, like you've managed to, which we'll touch on in a minute if that's okay. Mm-hmm, so it's a great, like, it's a great spot. I'm surprised English clubs may not. Use it as a bit of a, you know, like pinching a bit of talent, maybe. Yeah, I, th- I think that, I think there was a time whenever there was a few of us left Ulster at the same time, and just thought that, that there was there was something else out there, and then there were some guys yeah. from the south who went and did the same thing. I think for a lot of them now, they 
you know, if you look at if you look at the Leinster and the Monster and, and the guys playing for them, they grew up wanting to wear the blue shirt of Munster, the red shirt of, yeah. of, of Munster. They wanted they wanted to do that. That was their that was their be all and end all. And being involved in the Leinster setup, they're probably going, Well, I can't beat this, even though I'm not playing. I've always felt that there's lots of guys in Ireland could come across and make good careers and play in England and 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 see what see what life's like and and see there's more out there. But for a lot of them probably going, I'm I'm at the I've grown up wanting to play for Leinster my whole life. If I get the yeah. chance to play three or four times, I want to, I want to do that. That's the dream for me. And and so that's, that's the dream being lived, isn't it? That's that's yeah. the aspiration. But I've always yeah. felt that some guys are like, you're too happy wearing a tracksuit. You're going to look back and go, I could have gone to England or somewhere and played a hundred times, but instead of a one yeah. tracksuit and I've played half a dozen times, but, but each to their own, but certainly there could have been lots of guys come across to England and, and made a good career. And the, the best example is probably someone like Tommy Hayes, John Hayes's brother yeah. who went and played at Plymouth and Exeter and was, was here for years and years. Didn't, didn't make, didn't cut the mustard, make it quite make the grade at Munster came across, played in England, made a massive career for himself. Gareth Steenson, another one who was, didn't really get anywhere else. moved across the Cornish pirates. Went to play at Exeter, won Premiership titles, European Cup, legend, still at the club, got his own bar down there. You know, it, it can very easily happen. Yeah. And what? why do you think maybe the same level in both countries? Sorry, mate, it's just just crossed my mind now for clubs, for players to do that. What is the difference in the standard? Is Does your body get more battered in one than the other, or is it a bit... What's the style of play in that league compared to our championship? Do you think I, I guess the players to do that? I think the difference is that it's actually it's probably come whenever I was playing, it's probably come full circle. There's not as much right. involvement from those professional players in Ireland to go and play all Ireland League. They don't get released as much. There's a few more games, but there's maybe not as much opportunity for them to play. Whereas in England, the championship, national one, national two, is a much better breeding ground to have the have players ready to give them exposure to play and to be prepare them for for premiership it, it's it's they're way better prepared in england now than than what they have yeah. been previously and i think it's it's sometimes it's it's one of the things that the irish clubs are actually envious of us because they're they're out looking to they can only play each other so many times i know ulster yeah. have been across to play ealing and they try and play the other urc sides for an a-league friendly so it's not easy for them uh to do that, but certainly the the championship is a much stronger league than the All Ireland League is. No. Yeah. So when your debut come around for Ulster, mate, do you remember much about it, the build up, and and what it meant to you? Yeah, it was. So I came in the squad at, in in '99, and I sat on the bench for. Oh, I can't remember how many games I sat on the bench before I actually made my debut, and all of these games, I thought. It has to come sooner or later. And I actually made my debut in Toulouse. I came off the bench right. against Toulouse for Ulster, who were the European kingpins at the side. And I, yeah. you know, we were we were losing. It was like thirty five twelve or something. No, it wasn't. It was thirty six twelve something like that. And we ended up drawing the game thirty six all. And it was one of the best results the club had ever had. It's got and it, nothing to do with my introduction, but I just remember going. What a place to make it. your debut! <laughs> no, I can't take it. Can't take any credit for it. So, what, what, what a place to make your debut yeah. because it was in, it was in the massive stade to lose. It was in that massive stadium. It was like, oh my goodness, look at this place! And whenever you got called that you were going on, you're like, are you serious? Here, you're going to put me on here. You wouldn't put me on it. 
these other places, but you're going to put me on here, right? Bugger it, I'm going. So just want to throw yourself around against those guys and go, what a magic place to make your debut. So yeah, I remember it. I remember it so well. And everyone was so good to me afterwards. And I think I just grinned for a long, long time. And everyone had beers with me. And the French, the Toulouse guys were actually all very, very pleasant and, and polite to me. So it was just an amazing place to play. Um, full stop but to make your debut there was just really really special so yeah I, I have a lot of strong memories from that day yeah so the, there was a few highs at Ulster mate wasn't there and as, as well as being cat which we'll we'll talk about in a bit mate it's it's things like winning the Celtic League the Celtic Cup you were nominated for player of the year so all this comes thick and fast on the back of a of a great a great debut you might it's a it's a memory you'll hold forever isn't it and you can tell the grandkids, the great grandkids, and anyone that will listen, really, I would. But <laughs> but it is like everything comes on the back of that box being ticked and knowing that you're capable, doesn't it, mate? So talk us about what key moments stood out in them, them like silverware times, and and how was it being nominated for Player of the Year? Is it validation, Paul? It, you know, it was it was really. Um... Whenever, whenever we came, we got ourselves. And Alan Solomon's had come in, and he brought his his, his guys with him. Phil Mack was his fitness guy, and we trained unbelievably hard. The pre seasons were ferocious, so whenever we played against these these teams, we were fit and we were able to run around and we were able to play. So it was such an enjoyable brand of rugby. Um, and because the ball was always in play, there was plenty of opportunities for me to get the ball in my hands. And I, I came at a time whenever there was actually it was a group of excited players. Paddy Wallace was there, Simon Best was there, you know, David Humphreys was there, Johnny Bell, Ryan Constable was playing, Bryn Cunningham was there. We had we had a really exciting group of boys that were playing and we were able to throw it around and, and play and and that suited me and, and worked really well for me. And um I just loved being there and I pushed myself really hard when it came to the fitness and I was determined to be the best, the best I could be. But I guess Winning the winning the Celtic Cup was was brilliant because we went to Edinburgh and did it, and we won the Celtic League, and that was that was that was amazing an achievement in itself. But I get I guess the real highlights was whenever you played the European the big European Cup games at Ravenhill, they were massive. Yeah. You know, we, we knew that we could take on anyone, and we and we could beat them. You know, we, we the Wasps or Stade Francais or any of the big sides in the big English sides or the big French sides, we knew. They didn't want to come to us, and we would be in the fight. And the atmosphere was always incredible. I always got got such a buzz out of playing those games more than than anyone else because you just felt it that that it was going to be your night. And and something happened as soon as the opposition got off the bus, someone turned the sky black and turned the rain on. It was sunny whenever they drove from their hotel down, and they just walked off the bus, and the life force was sucked out of. But we we just knew that. We were going to be in it, but the the atmosphere back then was just just magic, just really fantastic nights playing with your mates, beating the best that Europe has to offer. It it was just awesome. Those were the real yeah. highlights for me. And it's through enjoying it as much as you did. Do you think that's where the island stuff come from as well? Um, I, I think there was a bit of a, a a bit of a corner whenever I was turned that there was a, an element of enjoyment, but I had to I had to. I had to knuckle down more and, and you know, I, I always really enjoyed it, but I was always, I was always good fun. I was always up for fun. I was always up for something. And, you know, if there was a night out, I probably would have been one of the first ones sticking a <laughs> hand out would have been up for it. And I think it was, it was off the back of those performances that, um, 
you know, I, I, I tightened up my set piece. It was better. I was just coming, I was just coming to form at a, at a good time. Um, I was playing pretty well. I was pretty happy with what was going on. And I guess it was off the back that, that the opportunity was there. I think that realistically, Eddie O'Sullivan was the coach at the time. I think he saw potential in me that he, that, you know, that he, that he wanted to get out. Um, and that's probably where the opportunity, the opportunity came around. So first of all, mate, you played Island A, didn't you? So, so how does is it? I'd love it to be, but is it like a letter again? Is it? It, it is a letter. Yeah, it, it yeah. was a letter, and because because I'd never played any age group rugby, I was you know there was guys ahead of me at um, Ireland schools and Ireland under twenties or twenty ones, I think it was back in the time. I I never made the cut. I never made the grade. So so I'd never worn a green jersey. So. So it was only playing for Ulster that you get the letter that you're going to be playing for Ireland there. And that was just absolutely huge for me. And I remember going down to train for those games and play in the hotel. And those were those were great fun. We knew that um, we needed to play well. We had aspirations to get into the senior national squad. But it was, you could have a bit of fun with it as well. So we used to stay in Dublin and play those games. But they were just... I just love... I remember playing... Um, I just I remember we played Wales at Musgrave and I remember as soon as the kickoff went I remember standing on the pitch in my green kit proudest punch and just going just kick off just kick off just kick off because as soon as you kick off there I've played I've played in an yeah. Ireland shirt and you can't take that away from me and, and that was that and I, I remember there was a I was interviewed afterwards and people around me going you just spouted on and on and on. I think I was just so high on adrenaline and giddy that I was just blabbering away about any, <laughs> any anything and anything. So no, it was. I just that that was that was one of the most special moments for me was actually playing in that green jersey for the first time. That was at that point I knew that it was it was just an amazing feeling. Yeah, and what were you like in a new environment? Could you find in you're confident in yourself? Like you said, you're on the back of great performances and. It, you have nothing to lose, I suppose, mate, really, because you've not been through the, the age grades, like you said. So what was yeah. you like in that new environment? Um, I, I was always I was always willing. I wanted to get myself in there and, and test myself and see who I was up against and see what I could do. And and sh- I, I was really much that I wanted to show people what I was capable of. I didn't want to be yeah. a shrink and battle. I wanted to see that I get me in there. I want to get absolutely mucked in. But I was also... I was also social. I would talk to people. I would go and find new people to talk to. Um, I wasn't one for um, playing safe and staying in a clique. I was always out talking with whoever and introducing myself to, to people and, and being in people's company. So I, I always find that really in, interesting and and I never really had much of a problem with it. I just, you know, I was just like, I'm here because I deserve to be here. So I'm going to show you, you know, but, but there was part of you go, I also need to, I deserve to be here, but I also need to prove to a lot of you guys. You know, you're talking about you know get well-established guys, Rog and Stringer and Magsy and Hendo, and you know all of those guys, Brown and Driscoll, of course. And you know, you have to I have to prove myself to you guys that I actually deserve to be here. Otherwise, it's then why is he here? Who's your man? Did he win a competition? So and that's not what I wanted to happen. So, so and um, did your mum get bigger playing cards, mate, for the write-ups now? And- <laughs> <laughs> so the the, the, scrap, the scrapbooks got the scrapbooks came out yeah. and they got they got bigger it's and bigger. Bulging. So yeah, so yeah. actually, 
I went went back to Northern Ireland a couple of years ago, and she actually sent me packing a load of stuff because it was taking up so much room in the house. So I moved <laughs> it, I moved it from one attic to another here. To so, another, yeah. So <laughs> still, months. it'll 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 come out it'll come out in some shape or form. But yeah, they they tr- they tracked everything, and they were really, really, really supportive of me. And I think they probably enjoyed the the journey every bit as much as I did. Yeah, did you keep any like any other memorabilia, mate? Like jerseys, programs, or out like that? Um, I, I guess that the, I kept the the jerseys that were important to me for the for the big games. Um, I, I kept my All Ireland League final jersey with with Balamina. I kept my school jersey. I kept my um, uh, my my also jerseys that that I played in. But you know, it's funny that when I when I made my when I made my Irish debut, that's probably the, the one shirt that you that you wanted to have. Um, it actually never really ha- it, it nearly didn't happen because we were playing in Samoa, and um, uh, it was absolutely roasted. The humidity was through the roof. It was absolutely scorching. The boys were sweating at half time. We're in this. We're pl- in the changing room. was pretty rustic, and guy used to be shouted over. Susie threw me my, my spare shirt because everyone was sopping and jerseys yeah. back those days were quite heavy. So I just picked this shirt off the peg and just launched it to him. And as I launched it, I sort of folded it up. I just went, oh, no. And looked up, and there's a fan on the roof going... <laughs> so it's got into... So the shirt's got into the fan. It's been chopped up. It's been chopped up, spat out. Eddie O'Sullivan, the coach, has jumped a mile in the air, terrified. Keith Woods heard it, and he was just on tour just to be there as a presence and started screaming at me. And I just gone, oh, what have I done? Oh, what have I done? Yeah. <laughs> the, the international career is actually just about to come to an end. So it never actually, I just, I can't believe I've done that. Anyway, I, I, I did get on the pitch and Keith came up to me afterwards and said, listen, I'm sorry for sure, not you, but I screamed, I screamed <laughs> far too high pitch and I was quite embarrassed. So I had to blame someone and I blamed <laughs> you. So anyway, after the game, um, I didn't, I, I wanted to keep my jersey and Runner Agara very kindly gave me his number 10 um, that I could swap, which was, which was amazing. Um, uh, so, but Trevor Leota was the hooker for Samoa that day and he'd actually gone home and Keith actually went and found Trev uh, whenever he came back to dinner told him that it was my debut Trev went back to his village got a shirt came back and gave it to me um, so so that's that was pretty special and I guess the, the other one that was really special was I, I, I swapped I swapped jerseys with Jonah Lomu back in 2001 um, which was which was amazing and it was it wasn't it wasn't intended uh, we'd gone into Ireland A, we're playing um, New Zealand, and I'd sat on the bench, and this is pre-making my debut for Ireland A, but I'd never actually got on the pitch. Um, I went into the changing room because Anton Oliver, the great old black hooker, was the was the number 16. I thought, I'll swap shirts with him. That would be amazing. Shane Byrne went in ahead of me, and he went to Tom Willis, who was the starting hooker, who said no. So he went to Anton Oliver instead. And I oh, what am I? So I just tapped the next bloke that walked past me and said, Do you want to swap shirt? I didn't pay any attention to who it was. And it was and it was Jonah. And he was nice as pie, gave me it. And I was like, uh, he took my jersey and he was grateful. And we had a quick chat. And he was, it was amazing. And I sort of walked up and I'm not quite sure what just happened there, how that's actually managed to happen. But but he was it was ama- he was fantastically polite really engaging really interested in, in what you were talking about so um i had his i have his jersey here i still have it um i, I kept it and um you know f- to this day i'd probably love to know what he did with with the jersey that i gave him whether that was a rag that the dog was sleeping in or he used it to 
to to polish his course. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, but um, yeah, that was that was pretty special. Wow, yeah, that's brilliant. So how does how does the step up come again from Ireland A to Ireland? And again, is it another level change, or is it just that slightly bit quicker? No, it, it's another level change altogether because the the intensity is there in the training weeks, the mindset, the full kit caboodle. You know, whenever it's Ireland Day, you've got the aspiration you want to be in the senior team, but you need to keep it fun because you're kind of thrown together without, you know, to play to play in a little series, and you, you yeah. try to keep it fun to keep people engaged. The Ireland stuff's completely different. The intensity is there all day long. The aspiration, the competition to get better, to be in the team, to be in the squad, to be in the tour, to be all of those things is there is there constantly. So yeah, that was a that was a really, really big step up in the in the day to day things, but um but but completely enjoyable and able to test yourself and know that and comforting as well that whenever you go to training and you come home that you didn't look out of place. And that's probably as much of a relief as anything else. Yeah. So you mentioned Samoa though, mate, and logistically is it is it an easy travel or oh no. No, it's a it's it's a it's a nightmare. So um it was it was pre-World Cup in two thousand and three and we went and there was it was a three test tour. So we went to play Australia in Perth and then we went to play Tonga in Nukuolofa and then we went to play Samoa in Apia. So we went went to Perth, stayed stayed there, did um played Australia and that was a game at Wendell Sealer and Lottie Takiri made their debuts and they, they yeah. ran us absolutely ragged. Um, and then we flew across and, and and played Tonga, and that was that was interesting and and culturally completely different. Great, great fun, great tour. I remember, um, you know, walking out in the street, and there's a there's a, a red pickup truck walking along, and there's a big shark fin sticking out the sticking out the back of it. So you run after it and you have a look at it. There's this ten foot shark in there and I remember on the Sunday we went up to we were out the Sunday after we played the game we went for a swim and there was this red shipwreck out the distance and we were myself it was myself Donico Callahan and Shane Burmer doing a bit of snorkeling so oh, there's that there's that shipwreck and the guy in the because we, we went out in a little pot pot boat and then jumped in the water. So there's that shipwreck I said I said that's that's where they caught that shark the other day wasn't it? I said yeah and I said fighting each other to get back in the boat, to, get, to, get out of the, to get out of the water so um so yeah we, we played Tonga and that was that was roasting and I was actually rooming with um Simon Bess who's a really really good pal of mine he's also my my brother-in-law my or, or we were married to two sisters and he made his debut there which was was just great to be there and to be a part of that for him that was that was a special moment and then we flew to Samoa and you you might know your geography. You know, whenever you fly to Samoa from Tonga, you you cross the international date line. So you leave on the Tuesday and you land on the Monday that you've just had. So it's a bit it's a bit groundhog day. So it's a, you throw you all over the place. So you go and do it. Um, and then we trained in Samoa. We trained at the school. We had an amazing week. We stayed at um, Aggie Gray's, which was you know a really famous hotel out there. Then and. Uh, Coming in that tour, I I got on, made my debut with with um 15, 20 minutes to go, which was just an amazing experience. This this photograph of me just smiling from from ear to ear. So logistically, it was a nightmare tour because we also forgot we had to stop off in in Auckland on the way, just on the way through. Because obviously, once you get to Perth, it's fine, but it's a long, long way to get to Australia. 
and then the other the other trips on top. So you couldn't really have been any further away, but really special to have gone to places like that because the opportunity to go places like that just doesn't doesn't exist, or the chance to go there is is really difficult. So I'm really really thrilled that to to go to say that I've toured places like that because they're just they're just special places. The people are incredible. They're just special places. So when when your time comes to to leave Ulster, mate, is that a mutual thing? Are you just seeking a new challenge? And I think it, yeah, I think it was reasonably mutual. I nearly left the season before. I was looking at my options the season before. I just couldn't get the right fit, and also were quite happy to let me go. And I think, I think by that stage, Rory, Rory Best was was playing. He was who the coaches had put all their faith in, and and that's absolutely fine and and quite right too. He went off to make 130 caps, captain his country, Grand Slam captain many wonderful things and you know a, a great great player and a great great servant for for Ulster and Ireland but for me it was like I wanted to, I just needed a bit more I was like I, just, I know I still have stuff to offer and um I, I can't I don't want to look back and say that I just I took the easy option and stayed and um Mark McCall spoke to me and said that they weren't going to renew my contract and I was like you know if he if he hadn't said it to me I might have said it to him so whether it was a real catalyst to go, yeah, you're right. I shouldn't. I shouldn't stay here. I need to go. I need to go and do something different. Um, and I did. And you know that was in 2007, and I'm I'm still here. So um, it was probably the best best decision I made from a sporting and life life choice, definitely. And so was when it comes to possibly reaching out, mate. How how does that work? The clubs approach you. Does do you put the feelers out and so I had a sort of middle thing? I had an agent at the time, um, much as I, I work with them and against them now. Um, <laughs> they, uh, I had an agent at the time, Ryan Constable, who was, who was corner flag at the time, who we just reached out to clubs to see who was looking for who was looking for, for players and what position they look for. As tends to happen at this club's looking for a hooker, this club's looking for a hooker, this club's looking for a hooker, this club's not, this is their budget, this is what they're looking for. So came back with um, a couple of clubs that were interested, but it was Northampton that were that were concrete, wanted me to go across and meet them. And, um, you know, that was, that was, that was, that was amazing to me because it was a club, I remember watching Rugby Special whenever I was young and it was, you know, Northampton had Buck Shelford and Tim Rodber and, um, Ian Hunter playing for them, so it was, was a massive interest to me. And I always knew they were, they were a big club, so I was dead excited about going to meet them. When when you have them talks, mate, is it is it a show around the ground? Do you do you meet people outside of the boardroom, sort of thing, or is yeah. it strictly business till you agree? Uh, no, they, they sort of. They, you need to get a snapshot. So whenever back then, it was getting a snapshot of what the place was like. So I went across. I had a really good look at the ground. And I stayed in a hotel and I met with I met with the coaching staff at the time. They talked with me what the philosophy, what they saw me, what they wanted me to, what they wanted me to bring if if it happened. You know, after the meeting, agent the club gets in touch with my agent. They say they actually want to. They want to. They want to bring you in. You let them negotiate and, and come to an agreement. Then you go across and uh, and do a medical and and sign the contract. And I brought my my wife over with me, um, who was who was my fiance at the time because we, we hadn't got married yet. But we we came across and after we went up to see Keith Barwell, who was the owner of the club and a you know a, a great great human. And he, we went into to meet him 
and he just dismissed me straight off and we just went straight for Gemma and just how important she was and, <laughs> and all the rest of it. And he's and he's and he's absolutely right. So yeah, I, yeah. I'm, you know, it was it was it was it's funny because Northampton were I knew I was signing for them and I'd signed for them and they were at the bottom bottom end of the table and they were you know, I remember watching, I was with Jem's sister and her husband Alaric, we were down, uh, we were away somewhere, I was watching, following the last day of the Premiership season and Northampton were getting relegated and I was like, it doesn't matter, I'm, I'm in, I'm completely invested in what they're trying to do and it's too big a club and they'll, and they'll bounce back up and whenever they bounce back up, I can say I was part of the whole rebirth of Northampton Saints and I saw the whole thing and was there the whole time and 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 seeing the bottom and the top and um I can look back on that proudly and um, I'm glad to say that I was I was right in my uh, in saying that that's what was going to happen. So you went and done it so who's on a <laughs> rock dot turned it around. <laughs> I can't say it was me. I think there was a I lot of guys over it, there. But, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it was uh, it was nothing to do with me. We had, you know, we beat a lot of good players that year. We were really well coached with Jim Mallander and Dorian West and Paul Grayson. And you know, yeah. that was that was a team that was playing in the championship that had Tom Smith and Ewan Murray and Carlos Spencer and Sharky Robinson and Bruce Rayhanna and Sean Lamont and Chris Ashton and it, the list goes on. We were far, yeah, far too good for that league, and you know we we won the league without losing a game. Not many guys can say they've done that. So it was it was an amazing experience. But geez, we did some drinking on that that year. Let me tell you. Yeah, I can imagine, mate. <laughs> and I'm again without being rude to some of the clubs in that league, you'd have gone to places that probably weren't at the best stand uh, facility wise. They like used when everybody's cup final as well. So it takes some doing, doesn't it? Listen, absolutely, and you were you you had the target on your target on your head every time you play. I think whenever we played that season, I think it was about five teams. We we Exeter, Cornish Pirates, Launceston, Plymouth, all all in that league. So we were down in the toe yeah. of England, you know, any number of times, and that's a five or six hour bus journey. So you can imagine how many beers are down on the way on the way home from that five <laughs> or six times. So, um, so yeah, and we went to, we went to some places, but it was brilliant because it was getting in touch, and it was a it was a stark reminder that if your aspirations are hard to play in the premiership that if you don't get it right then um then this is where you could be but brilliant you know it always brought out great crowds people were there really supportive glad that you were glad you're there great to see you but you know i still i still laugh at some of the memories of you know <laughs> the, the toilet cubicle being right beside you know, number number twenty three in the changing room. So almost <laughs> sure you know, door. <laughs> yeah, sure. You're, you know, almost touching feet. Yeah. <laughs> touching feet as, get, as ones in the trap and ones outside. So, but yeah, br- brilliant, brilliant times. Yeah. And was it when the end of the season comes round, mate? Is it? Do you feel justified when they keep up? Did they keep hold of that team as well? Didn't they? Yeah, they kept they kept hold of some of them, but we needed we needed to evolve because essentially there wasn't <clears throat> oh, there was a there was a few guys added to it, but to be to be aspirational, I mean, they needed to bring more in, and and Jim and Dorian really identified the young English talent. You know, they went after you know Lee Dixon and and Ben Foden to bring these guys into the environment to to grow at Phil Dyson. Followed not too not too long afterwards, so you know, and then international talent like like natural lobby the two guys from also came up roger wilson and neil best came across to add a bit of steel to the place and experience so really cute in terms of how they did it not going out to sign superstars but signing guys who were going to be fit for the league that were actually going to make us seriously competitive and hard to beat with it knowing that it was going to be a journey for us to get to the top yeah 
a few of them names with when not being rude to them again can play both sides of the line. They can play the nice stuff and the rough, dirty stuff, can't they? And they're quite happy in either way. It doesn't matter. Absolutely, and you know, bringing yeah. someone like Neil Best in because Neil Best is one of the toughest guys you could ever you could ever play with or against. You know, just one of those guys made of granite, just no no concept for his own safety. Would throw himself into everything at a zillion miles an hour, and he was a good example to everyone that that's what you that that's what you did, and he was absolutely brilliant at it and that's that's one of the reasons he was brought in to make us to give us an edge to make us more yeah. you know to give us a physical edge he, he would not back down from a challenge yeah. so what are the standout memories as a player at Northampton mate what's what stand out for you I, I guess the when I was when I was playing um, I played I only played two seasons I played one 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 season in the championship and then one season in the premiership I guess the standout memories for me was Finishing the season, whenever we actually went and played, um, played at Twickenham against Exeter, that was the first time I'd ever played at Twickenham, and we won the we'd won the cup final. It was the EDF Trophy, I think it was back then, yeah. and we won that, and and that was an amazing experience for me just to be involved in that and to to run out of Twickenham. That was that was amazing, and then the next one was actually making my, my Premiership debut. There's something about having a shirt. They didn't do it at Ulster. They didn't do it in Ireland. But having a shirt with your name on the back of it hung up in the changing room whenever you go in to play, that's that's an amazing feeling. And that's probably the biggest standout one to make your debut for Northampton, say it's at Franklin's Gardens with your name on the back of a jersey. It's just just really, really special. It just gives you that boost. You know, you talk to kids now that come into the academy and the aspiration, I want to play with my name on the shirt. I want to play with my name on the shirt. That's that's the aspiration. So so yeah, th- those are probably the two biggest standout memories for me. As a player, there's been lots more since I've gone on the other side, but as a player, those are the big ones for me. Yeah, we'll touch on them now, mate. So when when the time on the field, playing wise, is coming to an end, have you sort of picked little pieces off everyone you've been around? And when you put that together, did it did it equate to the role you're in? And talk us about the role you talk to us about the role you're in. So the, the 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 way it finished, there was myself and my, as I mentioned earlier, my my eldest was was born at the time, so we only had, we only had one. We were quite settled in Northampton and weren't quite ready to leave. We just bought rugby tots, as I mentioned earlier, so we were just like, I'm not sure. Yeah. What we so I said said to the said to the gym and the coaching staff, is there ever a job you think that would be suitable for me? I'm open to listening because we're not leaving yet. I didn't really know where my career was going to go at that stage if I wanted if I wanted the coach or what I wanted to do or give the rugby touch thing a, a crack. Um, I had to finish because of injury. So thankfully I was insured. So I was getting my salary paid. So I had, I had time on my side to work out what I wanted to do. And um, they, they came to me and said, what about being team manager? And I sort of, I'd never really considered it, but thought about it, weighed it up and went, it actually really suited me. And yeah, I was definitely give us a crack. I'm definitely keen to give it a crack. And I learned from, I learned from the guys that had been before me, Lenny Newman and John at, at Northampton and John McComish at, at Ulster and, and other guys that I, I'd learned bits and pieces from, spoken with the players and knew what it meant to be a team manager, knew what knew what players want from a team manager. So that was that was quite straightforward. And, and I did that for I did that for 10 years and evolved into it, learned that for learned that for 10 years. And then um really, really enjoyed it that that sort of feeling of involvement um 
looking after you you're basically just facilitating everything just picking you know problem solving facilitating and you're not involved in the glamorous stuff that's all the decisions are made up but you're just making sure that that all those things happen you know the buses turn up and the hotels are booked and everyone's on a flight and the visas are there and, and all that stuff and everyone's got their kit all, all of those wee bits are you're you're a you're a cog in the wheel and then you and then subsequent to that i moved into recruitment i was doing a bit of the recruitment i was doing the recruitment while i was team manager but chris boyd came in and split the job uh just said it was probably worth splitting the job and at the time you think no i'm capable of doing both but on reflection you go it actually probably works it works better for me because my kids were an age where i wanted to see them play at the weekends and uh, you know having it, that had been 20 years of professional rugby of the same hotels the same bus journeys you know i, I remember being on one of the bus journeys home and i was like i'd seen the evolution of getting on the bus and reading the paper and then the magazines and then then videos come on the bus and everyone watches the video and then ipads and then playing cards and then everything else and podcasts and movies and you go i remember just got to seen it all i don't know what i want to do but i know i don't want to be on this bus i don't want to do this anymore i don't, I don't want to travel anymore so it, it worked out well for me that i'm completely focused on recruitment and doing it means that i can give it all the attention that it needs to be to make it as successful as possible so um so yeah you pick up loads of bits and pieces from those around you um along the way some good some bad um you learn how to talk to people and learn how not to talk to other people but it's all part of the learning um, and still learning every day every day is a lesson mate especially when you're talking unfortunately the world we're in money's heavily motivated isn't it and It'll, it'll level things out if you're good enough and you put enough in the money follows doesn't it I think so I, I, th I think it yeah. does and you know some guys are some guys will have really lucked out that have had a career where they'd have played you know maybe a hundred times for, for England and, and earned very healthy salaries and there's other guys who will have just come to their peak now whenever rugby's just at a, at a point where it's trying to navigate some pretty choppy waters and the, the finances aren't there for what they feel it's now is their time for earning and, and the, the money's just not there. And that's really, yeah. you know, that that's unfortunately, that's just where rugby's at at the minute. And we just need, I, I, I genuinely believe the sport is going to continue and it's going to be absolutely fine. We got some, there's too many people care about it for it to not happen. And, you know, it'll, there's a lot of bright people out there that'll, come together and, and work it out and we'll be absolutely fine but it's going to be choppy for those guys who think that it's the, the money's just not there you know we've seen it with yeah. you know with losing wasps and with losing Worcester that, that that it can be taken away from you really really quickly so we just got to be very careful and, and frugal about how we navigate the next the next part for all of us so Paya, was you someone that liked to be told direct and is that something you've took forward with the way you speak to people, you don't sugarcoat stuff. You're just pretty honest, transparent, and straight to the point. I, th I think that um, I think the biggest skill now is, and the biggest challenge is, is is managing the modern day rugby player because they're not yeah. they're not the same. Everyone's different, and I think I think a skill you have is working on how to how to talk to people and realize that some people react better with uh, with a foot on their head. And other guys actually need a, a cuddle more often than not. If you've made a mistake, you know, you know, you've made a mistake. So I don't need you to tell me. I know I've yeah. and no one, no one is beating me up more than I'm beating me up. You, you don't need to tell me. And sometimes 
you think you've had a good game, you walk in to to speak to a coach and he absolutely rocks you and you go, okay, well, maybe my <laughs> reset my standards about where I think I need to be here. And so I was, I knew, but I always wanted to get feedback. And I, w- I was always of the opinion that you couldn't just go in whenever you played well, they'd be told you played well. You had to go in every week. If you yeah, played badly, both sides had, of the card. Yeah. You had you had to face the music. Um so so no, I was wh- whatever whatever came, I think it was all part of the part of the learning. And I think not to answer your question, no, I, I think that some people need to be told quite blunt and straightforward, but others need um need cajoled in a different way and I need a different way of, of explaining because if you get ready they just go in a completely different direction than where you want to take them and that's and that's tricky so um so yeah, yeah. No, i think it's a i think it's an art result to navigate how to how to manage people what are you looking for in a player at northampton saints is it the same as what you'd look for in an academy product to an international do you still look for the same attributes regardless of the age and, and level they're at yeah i think so i think we yeah. want some you know you'll you'll have seen with our you know, with with the makeup of our squad, that we are, you know, we we look for you know young, high potential. We identify as an English club. English qualification would be is is quite an is quite important for us. But we also are looking for people of of high character. You know, who've got grit, who's got who's got a bit about them, are competitive, that wanna that are up for a fight, up for a scrap, wanna you know wanna push and and drive competition in the squad. So in terms of that criteria yeah you're looking for the same thing in your academy kids that are coming through that that you're looking for in your senior guys you don't you don't always get them you can't what you might want there might not be an english version of of what you want to yet and it's always good to go to and get bring someone in from a from a foreign league who is, is bringing a different perspective and a different and a different learning and i think that's i think that's i think that's great you we've got to grow and evolve but I think to make that successful, you've got to have real good alignment in your in your squad from your coaches, from your senior coaches to your academy coaches to your pathway coaches, who are all aligned the same way about development and making people better and making them better rugby players. Um, I think that's really that's the core, but it has to be aligned. You can't have one going one way, one going another, because ultimately it doesn't end up in the same spot. So I, I didn't mention this here before, but. When you signed the like, because I know you've signed many in international in the past, and the recent one that's just caught my head now is is someone like Dan Bigger, which is recently left. Does does the the old like cap rule make a big difference when you're looking at signing players like that? Because Wales have the cap rule, don't they? And then England have people that if they play outside the country, except for the likes of the Wash and the Worcester players at the minute. They have yeah, that special exemption, don't they? Does that make it more difficult to attract the likes of Dan Bigger than that? I think it is. I think, I think for a lot of clubs, you have to. Yeah, for every club, has to know their identity and, and what what is it that you represent. What is your DNA and what is your strategy whenever you're recruiting players? So, um, and also, you know, there's this. You'll. It's an English league. The, the English qualified players. The EQP funding is is quite substantial. It's worth quite a, a significant amount of money to have an average amount of players in your squad every week. So you need to be, if it's important to you as a club, which it is to us, that we identify as English, that that, that we have that money, that, that we we meet that we meet that average every week. So we actually have that money yeah. available to us. So if we go outside that, we want to bring in 
we want to bring in real quality. So in bringing in someone like that, we just knew that we wanted to bring someone in who was, um, that was top class. We wanted a top class fly half to come in that was going to drive standards and, and give us something different. And, and Dan was absolutely um, <clears throat> a guy that whenever I spoke with his agent was very keen to talk to us and we very nearly got him the season before. We just, we just couldn't make it work, but um, I, I haven't got enough good words to say about, about someone like Dan. It was actually quite, quite a, whenever he, whenever he'd signed for the club, but he, he'd come up with his, his wife to have a look around the place. He said, it was during a fallow week in the 60s. He said, can I come up? But I said, yeah, yeah, no problem. Come up on Wednesday. He said, no, I'd like to come on Saturday if that's all right with my, my wife, Alex and, and her dad. And I was like, Oh, that's a day off, but okay, sure. And my wife was away with my my yeah. wife was away with my daughter, so I brought my so I had my two sons with me, Hugh and Finn, so that they were um they came along with me. I was like, listen, you're you're gonna have to come along. And we 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 met him at the club, and I said, sit in the corner. You're gonna know who it is, but you, it's a secret. You're not allowed <laughs> to tell anyone. So they were they were a fair bit younger, and they walked in, and it's a, a bigs walked in with with Alex, and the boys were. So, oh my goodness, there he is. It's a, isn't that amazing? So anyway, so we, we took them for a walk around the ground, Alex and, and her dad, and, and they were showing them everything. And, and Biggs was brilliant, really engaging with the boys, really asking them. And he asked my son, asked my son Finn. Um, my Finn's favourite player was always was always George North whenever he played at the club. So he said, uh, so who was used he to honest? <laughs> yeah, well, no, well, he was a bit too honest. So he said to him, who was your... Um, who are you supporting during the Six Nations? And the boys went, Ireland. Why would I be supporting anyone else? And I was thinking, oh, Finn, I know your favourite player is George North. So go on, Finn. Tell, why do you tell tell Dan who your favourite player is? And he went, Johnny Sexton. He's the best out half in the Six Nations. And I'm like, what are you doing? What are you doing? Why have you said that? I'm just trying to bring this guy to Northampton and you can't be saying that. But Dan was brilliant. He took it all in really good spirits. But um, yeah, so... Yeah, so so go back to is bringing someone like Dan is it's the same as whenever you bring in someone like Louis Pickamol. You're looking for that top world class international yeah. standard that's just going to give you something different because big players win big games and um you know and what Dan gave to us in those four years was absolutely he was immense absolutely immense for us all thought on the pitch. And obviously having the likes of your Carties, Laws and your Hoodlums and Tommy Freeman, George Furbank. It just shows local ads, like you mentioned before, the avenue is there, not only to represent Northampton, but is it a, a good enough club that breeds good players enough for international selectors to take note as well, aren't you? Yeah, absolutely. And I think that we yeah. are, you know, when, when Chris Boyd came in, he was very much of the opinion that... Um, if you were good enough, you got the opportunity and he gave a lot of young players an opportunity. And, you know, there's some epiphanal moments in conversations with guys like Lewis Ludlam, who whenever he came over and visited, told him he didn't, he didn't work hard enough and he didn't put it in whenever he watched him. And if he wanted any sort of future, he was going to have to work it out. And Ludz is now club captain and playing so well for England. That's just brilliant to see. But, yeah. but the foundations were sort of put in, in there before that with Jim Mallander and Dusty Hare and the investment into the academy. And, and sorting the pathways and the regions so that these players were coming through. You know, your your Furbanks, Moons, Coles, Hutchinson's, Harry Mallander, all of those guys coming through, which meant that we were producing these guys. And, you know, I, I would put our record up against anyone for producing international international rugby players. And even recently we've had 
you know, coals and ribbons have got in there, having cut their cut their teeth with us, and even to to a lesser extent, someone like Andrew Killaway, who left Australia and still credits came to play for us for a year. Still, he went back and then went straight into the the, the Wallaby setup, and he would still credit us with being a big factor in why he's playing international because his time he spent with us. So, you know, we're really we're really grateful for that, and. Um, yeah. So yeah, for us, we're like if you want to develop and come a bit, become a better rugby player, we, we will do that. We have a great coaching staff and great alignment um, among, around the club, so it's a it's a real good opportunity to do that. No, hundred percent. You're doing something right. You're definitely some a club to be noted for, like you said, with bringing youngsters through and giving them that platform to express themselves. Right, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely, and we've got a good crop of youngsters coming in, coming in next year that have played England 18s all already. You know, Toby Cousins and Henry Pollock and Archie McParland are coming in next year, and and two of those guys have already made their debut for the first team squad this season. Yeah. You know, as schoolboys, so the opportunity is there. We're we're quite excited about the lads that we have coming in and, and what the future holds of them. Yeah, mate. So just a couple of daft questions for you now, if that's okay. Of course. So. Any pre-match superstitions when you were playing? I used to drive whenever I played at Raven. I used to drive the same way. I had to go the same way to, to training. I would always have eaten the same food when I was at home, and always eat the same food in a hotel. And I would always yeah. have done everything left before right, left sock, right sock. Yeah. Always, always had to do that. Those wee things. I'd like to think that I wasn't superstitious, but whenever you think like it, clearly, if I didn't do those things, yeah. I was stripping off and starting again to make sure I actually got it right. So. So your toughest player you played with and against, well, tough being different for everybody, Paul. Yeah, I, I guess the, I guess the toughest guy I played with was probably it was probably Neil Best. Best, he was just he was just teak tough granite, just a different mindset about his physicality and his edge and what he hit things and how hard he and his fitness levels and everything else. He was just. <clears throat> He was just phenomenal, and I guess the toughest player to play against was um, Fabian Poulouz, the the old French second row. Um, second I remember, row, uh, yeah. yeah. I remember going in to hit him in a rocket in my debut, and I flew into the rocket, hit him full tilt, and he barely moved. And I just remember thinking, "All oh, right, okay, this is this is what we have to do." And I think you know, I think he actually picked me up by the waistbands and just chucked me away, chucked chucked me, <laughs> just chucked me out of the place. But he he was always. He was always tough, and even even remember running full tilt into Fabian Galtier once, and he absolutely buried me. And I went, "All right, fair play, <laughs> fair, fair nice play." Say, <laughs> yeah, nice to meet you. But I say uh, Fabian Police, I would say. Right. So your favorite away ground? My favorite away ground. Um, I, I guess that I enjoyed playing. I, I guess the, the favorite away goal for me really was also was when we played you know, whenever we went and played at King's Home. I really enjoyed playing at King's Home because that was a ground that was the crowd were in early. They were giving it giving it verbals all the time in your ear whenever you're practicing your line out and your warm up and everything else. They are there and they are just in your ear trying to hammer you. So it's a great place to go and win and and you know find out how you know what just how strong your minerals are and, and how you get on with it but but i think the best away ground i've been to the one i've been that i've been blown away with was that we went and played claremont 
about four or five years ago, we went with Claremont. I remember going the day before. I guess this isn't much of a stadium. I don't know what all the hype is about. And you go in two hours before kickoff, and the thing is just yellow, and it is just bouncing. Um, this message is coming down the radio to make substitutions, and he can't hear it because it's so loud. So that that that's an incredible that's an incredible rugby experience. That yeah, no, it, it comes across on telly like that as well. To be honest with you, doesn't it? It does come across lively. It's it's very very lively, but but just just you just a sea of yellow. Just guys completely invested in the club and just love being there from two hours before, just beating the drum for two hours. So you walk away with a bit of a headache, just the sound of the drum in your ear for two hours. But yeah. no, great place to go. So on some of them away journeys, mate, you had a few. But when you were in the champ and the microphone ended up in your hand, what would you give us? <laughs> I saw. Um... It would always, it was, I, it used to be the monkey's daydream believer, but then we just came out and did teenage dirt bags. So um, it was, it was, um, it was teenage, it was teenage dirt bag for me. We got really good friends of ours that went to, went to dinner about three or four years ago and they bumped into Keith Wood, who was, who was on that tour with me. And they said, oh, they put it introduced themselves and did he know me and he started singing teenage dirt back to them so i guess i made some sort of impression somewhere along yeah. the line so yeah. <laughs> you'd have made boot camp <laughs> i would have made boot, i'm not sure i'm not sure i would have made it to the judge's house i'm not sure i might have been thrown out the door but um yeah that would have been it for me that's brilliant so if you could go back and speak to a younger self what would you tell yourself um train harder i always thought i was training hard and putting it in um but the re- but the reality is that you know I look back at my career with with a bit of frustration. I'm really proud to say that I've some of the things that, that I've achieved, but I still think I could have achieved more. I still look th- I still look back and think I underachieved. I could have done more. I could have had the reason I didn't have more caps or more appearances is is that's on me. That's no one else. That's me. So I would go back and tell myself to apply yourself as much as you possibly can. Um, give it as much as you can use every session to get better because whenever you look back you'll look and if you haven't looked back and given it everything you'll only look back with regret and i think that is probably what i would tell myself is that you've got to throw even whenever you think that you're you can't train any harder you can't there's more that you could be doing to make yourself better and apply yourself that's fair enough, mate. And if you're willing to, a one, a one to fifteen that you've played with. Yeah, yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah. So, um, I guess that in the, I'm really lucky to play with some good people. So if I just take the internationals out of it, because that would be, yeah, that would be obvious. So I would say, I'll say Suani Tongawea at one, um, which is quite good because our sons now, now play together at school and at club. Um, <laughs> I'm going to pick myself at two because I don't think anyone else will. So I'm going to put myself in the team. Um, and then... On, on and then the... kick it. <laughs> no, if you, if you saw me kick, you wouldn't do that. <laughs> you wouldn't put me in there. Um, uh, and on the tight head, I, I was lucky to play with some really good tight heads like like you and Murray and, and Simon Best and, and Robbie Kempson. But I would probably say, I'm going to say Rod Moore because he came across from Australia at the time we just played in the World Cup when he just played in the, the series for the Lions. And I, I learned so much from from Rod that um yeah he was he was pretty important for my career at that stage in terms in terms of my learning. Um yeah. in this in the second row I'd say Jeremy Davidson and and Justin Harrison. Whenever whenever Jez Jez 
played with Jez whenever he came back from the Lions tour in 2001 from Australia. He'd just come back from cast and I played with him and his he his knees weren't there, but he was still an unbelievable player in terms of what he was capable of doing. And, and when Justin Harrison came into the squad, um, it, it was really quite... A, a big man that was that was very athletic had run the line out give a physical edge and and um despite what people think about him he's actually a really great great bloke so um and a, and a good mate so I, I would say i would say those guys in that position um yeah uh i picked roger roger wilson at, at number eight you know for for ulster and, and northampton just so consistent so available all the time you know absolutely fantastic fantastic player um and then i would probably i'd probably pick uh i'd probably pick need best at, at six just because he was so physical and abrasive and i've covered all those points and then at seven i picked andy ward Wardy was <clears throat> Wardy was Wardy was brilliant great leader great fun great player you know just a guy that played for the love of the game um really really great player good to have around the change but good in the environment so yeah. yeah, he was great to have around the place. Um, at half, at Neil Doak at nine, Doki at nine was was phenomenally talented, and you know you've, his son Nathan's playing for Ulster now, and he's <clears throat> he's a cracking player as well. But Doki is someone that was quite good in terms of applying himself. He got a second chance at professional rugby and and bit at it and and took it and was and was was outstanding um, whenever he got going. Um, Ten would be. Uh, David Humphreys. Yeah. Humph- when Humph played well for Ulster, we played well. He basically just he used to hit a wiper kick, kick across the pitch. You know, Jackie was he, he, if if he played well, you knew we were going to win. If he was hitting his goals, kicking the ball, it was we 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 every chance of, to win. And he performed at such a high level for such a long period of time. He was a he was an awesome player. Yeah. Um, in the centres, I'll go with. Um, Paddy Wallace and, and and Johnny Bell and an honourable mention to to Jimmy Downey who was, um, who was amazing whenever he was playing in Northampton just absolutely banging thing. But I had the scene at about the same time as Paddy. Paddy's one of my one of my best pals and he was phenomenal talent. Loved playing the game. You know, was so you know played 10, 12, 15 for us. He was just able to play. He was just able to play anywhere and, and perform and, and be outstanding. So he he was a. Uh, he was a cracking player. And then Johnny Bell at 13. Dinger was so, so professional, applied himself the whole time, so diligent. Such a such a good rugby player. I remember meeting him. Um, he signed an autograph for me by the combined provinces were playing the Springboks in 1995. And I was as a kid trying to get autographs for all of these big Springboks, Francois Pinar and Juice van der Vestes. And then I'm looking around in the, the autograph books, taken out of my hand and I look around and Johnny Bell signs it and gives it back to me. And I, did, I didn't ask him for it. He said, there you go. I said, oh, thanks. But I didn't know Dinger at the time. It's only whenever we were playing for Ulster years, I brought the autograph book into him. Look, look what you did. Springboks all over this autograph book. And then Johnny Bell's in the middle of it. So so we still we still laugh about it. Um, uh, and then uh, on the wings, I would go with... Uh, with Jimmy Topping and, and Sean Lamont. Uh, Jimmy was uh, Jimmy was one of the guys I really looked up to whenever I was actually quite young. So um, I used to see him out and about and always went straight up to him just to, to be in his company and wanted to 
to be around because I looked up to him so much. And whenever he played that all that we won the All Ireland League with Balamina that year, and Jimmy was just, just phenomenal. Some of the tries he scored were were just incredible. So influential. He was just he was just brilliant that year, and just such a strong, good guy to play with. And Monty on the other side played with at Northampton, and he was he was just a, a heck of a rugby player, hundred cap Centurion International, fantastic rugby player. You know, been around an awful long time. Still keep in touch with him. He's still working, still working in rugby with with Scotland and, and doing a great job. Um, and then at fullback, you know, Bryn Cunningham's probably the safest pair of hands. I don't think I ever saw him drop a high ball, but I probably have to say Ben Foden. Foden's at that stage. I played one year with Foden, and the kid was able to do things that he just hit the line and go. And he was quick and he was strong and he was he was just playing with a freedom that he could just go and do things and he and more often than not he was actually going to be able to to do it so um so yeah and th- there's lots of guys that I love I love left out you know the one year I, I played a couple of years with with Courtney you know if I was playing with Courtney now he'd be in your team all the time but playing playing with the best of these guys it's it's probably bestie but um yeah I'm pretty fortunate to have played with some some pretty pretty good people along the around the years You've been listening to Trot the Eggin. Thanks to our sponsors by Dell Sports. Follow us on Twitter at Trot the Eggin and Instagram at Trot underscore the underscore egg underscore in.